Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Rafua Shalema for Daniel Ben Ilana. I'm happy to have on our show today Rebbitzin Rachel Tesler Patton. Rebbitzin Rachel grew up in West Bloomfield, Michigan, and has a Bachelor of Arts degree in Judaic Studies from the University of Michigan and a Master's degree in Social Work from Columbia University. When she was living in Chicago, Rebbitzin Rachel was involved in the creation of the Lakeview Mikvah and the Chicago Jewish Day School. Rebbitzin Rachel currently lives in Detroit, Michigan, and is a matchmaker, bringing people together through, through sites like Saw You on Sinai and Why You Connects. That sounds fun and exciting. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. So um, my husband is a rabbi and when we lived in Chicago, we were part of Lakeview, which is a, a wonderful community. And um, there were a lot of singles there, a lot. And, um, and there were always people coming in for residencies and clerkships and internships. And so we had a, a lot of turnover and a lot of people who stayed and there were always new people. So we used to do a lot of hosting and you know, we would probably have like 20 people planned and then my husband would bring home another six to eight each week from, you know, from Shul. He'd walk around and they'd have a hospitality committee that would say like, you know, they would say, do you have a place for Shabbat dinner? And I mean, everyone had food. It wasn't that people were, didn't have food, it's people didn't know people and said, yeah, I'd love to come for Shabbat dinner. So our table was very long. And it ended up, my husband would sit at one end and I would sit at the other. And at his end, they, I don't even know what they talked about because it was his end. And uh, my end was inevitably um, a bunch of singles. And I would say we always tried to have like a mix at our Shabbat table of older people, younger people, you know, uh, couples, singles, families. We just always felt like we should be building community around our Shabbat table. But at my end, inevitably, were um, for Shabbat dinner, were always singles who, um, and we had some regulars, those who came every week, and they would talk about their their dating escapades of the week since the last time we had been together. And basically, they had said, um, Rachel, you have to be a matchmaker on this website, Saw You at Sinai, because you know us, and it's better to have someone looking for us who actually knows us. And um, and you also understand, um, it was it's a modern Orthodox community, so I understood a lot of the subtleties of being modern Orthodox. And um, so I got involved in matchmaking through that way. I mean, I had always, you know, loved making matches when possible. And we had a bunch that resulted from our Shabbat table. And so um, I got in touch with Saw You at Sinai. And so I've been a volunteer matchmaker with them, you know, uh, with, for them since then. And uh, I, I, it's, I think meeting people at a Shabbat table is the best way to meet people or you know, uh, in uh, natural, organic ways. But um, I think through Saw You at Sinai, I get um, a bigger platform of connecting with people. So I usually know the people that I am looking for. I don't always know the people that I'm finding, but, you know, uh, through references or checking, you know, you're supposed to list your rabbi and through Facebook and through, I, you know, I can connect with people to just kind of say like, tell me a little bit more about this person, you know, um, you know, uh, would you fix up with your sister? Would you, you know, uh, you know, a lot, of, I think is chemistry, but sometimes I just want to know, like, uh, give me a, a sense of this person. So I do a lot of, uh, of connecting. So I've been doing that uh, volunteer since then. That's amazing. And how many um, shit-ups have you made approximately? So it's a challenging question to ask. I have, I think, 14 marriages amazing. that I know of. Wow. 
But I do believe, or at least this is what I tell myself, is that I um, am constantly, I use the term like stirring the pot. And I feel like whenever you introduce people to people, and I tell people this when they're going out on a date, and you know, unless the person is rude or you know, nasty, if, you, if there's no chemistry, and I say even give it a second date, but if there is really no chemistry, then think, okay, you know what? Who in my world do I know that I can connect this person to? Or, you know what, there was no chemistry, but I'm doing a Shabbat dinner, you know, I'm going to invite her and I'm going to invite him. And, you know, and then, so I believe that I have a lot of couples that have resulted from introducing people, you know, even if those people didn't match, I believe that there's, I have to believe at least that there is um, a lot of good that comes from introducing people and, you know, getting people to kind of broaden their world and broaden their network. For sure. Oh, definitely, definitely for sure. I mean, it's such a... Um, it's such an intricate science matchmaking to, you know, to pair this person with that person. Do you have like any secrets? I'm just curious now that now that you're talking about I'm thinking about like, how do you know? Because I mean, like if I wanted to do it, I would have no clue where to start. So, you know, um, because I use it, through, you know, I guess it's a good question because no, I don't think there are any secrets. I think so many other things come into play and that's what makes it all so challenging. I was just speaking to someone yesterday who told me that if he had met his wife when he was in college, they never would have matched up because they were very different people then. They wanted different things out of life. And it wasn't until later on that they met, like 10 years later, that you know that, that they were able to actually match up with each other. And uh, you know, so I, I, I think a lot of it has to do with timing. A lot of it has to do with being in the right place at the right time, which makes it very challenging. And I also, I do think that sometimes it's opening your mind a little bit to some the potential of what you didn't think, you know, could be. Um, I will say most of my matches are ones that were not necessarily expected matches, meaning they were either long distance or they were not from the same religious background or, you know, someone grew up religious and someone is religious now, but didn't grow up. And someone always thought that they'd marry someone that they went to camp with or that knew the camp system or knew the yeshiva system. And this was someone who grew up in the Midwest and now they are living in New York, like, or that people um, never thought, I guess I just, I'm a creative thinker when it comes to matchmaking. And it's not just like, well, you're Jewish, you're Jewish, you guys should meet. It's, it's sometimes like, you know what, you guys just actually, you should meet, like just meet and see what happens. And um, so I'm kind of like that kind of like, you know, it's a cup of coffee or it's a phone conversation and see. And sometimes couples that I think are like the perfect fit do not work out. And other ones that I think, okay, give it a shot, you know, are seriously dating now. So, you know, a, a part of it, it just, I don't know. I don't have any tricks of the trade. Sometimes it'll be like, you know what? They like Broadway tunes and you like Broadway tunes. You know what? You guys should have just like, so meet and talk about Broadway tunes and see if, you know, something, you know, I guess there, I mean, I say that sort of flippantly, obviously there has to be more, you know, uh, lining up, but sometimes it will be just something as, you know what? You guys both like working with, you know, uh, you know, Mazon, or you both like working with, you know, you both were Camp Simcha counselors. You guys should just meet. And I just feel like sometimes you just have to take, like my kids and uh, and the, our congregation used to always joke because I would spend Kiddush. Now to, uh, uh, my husband's a rabbi in Detroit. It's a smaller community. But I do, I spend most of Kiddush saying, you know, have you met this one? Have you met this one? You should meet this one. 
And um, they joke, you know, like, you wear glasses, you wear glasses, you guys should meet. And, you know, <laughs> so they make fun of me like that. But um, but I also, you know, it'll, sometimes it'll be like, you know, you guys are looking to get involved in something and you guys are involved in something. You guys should meet. And it's not just singles. You know, I've gotten people connected who, uh, you know, one's on the board and one's looking to get involved in organizations. So a lot of connecting people, not just singles, but like just feeling like people sometimes get so stuck in their own social group or their own demographic group that I just feel like it we're, I think the world works better when you know people who are older and younger and, you know, you never know who's going to have a kid who can babysit for your kid and who's gonna, going to, you know, be driving to, you know, um, in our case, up to Ann Arbor and can take something for your kid. Like you just kind of always mix up the pot and just always introduce people, I think. So we try to do that around our Shabbat table, try to do that with matchmaking. Like you just never know what good can come out. from it. Right, that's amazing. It's networking. It really is networking. Exactly. exactly. And networking for, you know, for jobs, for, you know, I mean, I just, I'm always trying to connect people. Um, and singles, I have a platform, but I, you know, I'm connecting people um, in a lot of worlds all the time. We've now, I mean, at this point, we've lived in three different communities. We've lived in Riverdale, we lived in Chicago, and we live in Detroit. So, and we, we like communities. So we've gotten to know people in different communities. And so we, you know, we try to share, share the community and share the network. It's so beautiful. It's really, it's so beautiful. <laughs> um, and, you know, matchmaking is such a wonderful time-honored Jewish tradition. And you really get to know each person individually, and then you help them find their share, the person that they're really intended to marry. Um, I know part of your work entails having dealing with couples to help them navigate their religious differences. You know, sometimes either in dating or marriage, the man or the woman might become more religious than their partner. Sometimes a woman might want to cover her hair or dress it more modestly, and the man might want to start dominating a minion three times a day. In one way or another, one person wants to elevate their observance, and the other person wants to either remain the same or even decrease their level of, of observance. And that can be really, really challenging, whether you're dating or married, for any relationship. And I just was curious to see how you help couples navigate through this challenge. Um, so I will actually add another level to that, which is parents. Um, you know, how do you talk to parents when their kids are getting more observant sure. or less observant or in their, in their, their couple, you know, their the kids aren't sending, don't want to send their kids to day school or they want to send, you know, like, how do you navigate that? And I think a lot of it um, is about communication and going back to, you know, we'll start with singles, I guess, and then go from there is, um, you know, Sometimes it'll be like they're on a different religious level. And I mean, I dealt with, a, I still deal with a lot of couples who one is observant and one is not so observant. And either they meet through, they're at a, an event or they meet at a bar or they meet somewhere and they click and there's so much good there, but there are a lot of religious differences. And so, um, and, and often, you know, when I'm speaking to them when it's fairly far on into the relationship where they realize there's a lot of good here and I don't want to give this up, but what am I supposed to do? You know, I keep Shabbat and they don't. So for now we've been able to navigate that or I keep kosher and they don't. How do we navigate that? And so I spend a lot of time when, you know, when talking to them, of trying to figure out like, what are your non-negotiables and what are the things that you can be more flexible on? So, um, some of the couples that I've worked, you know, a kosher home, that's a non-negotiable. So when you are, you know, and, and I encourage people to talk to about these things 
somewhat early on in the relationship because if you already know that you are dating someone who does not keep kosher or does not keep kosher even to the same level, it's not something that you want to spring on them, you know, once you are seriously dating. These are things that should be talked about, you know, um, earlier on. Now, uh, it might be, you know, like, look, and I guess the, I, you want the conversations and the communication to be, you know, I want you, I understand that we are not on the same level. These are things that are important to me. How can we make this work? Um, and, you know, so like I said, the two main issues that usually come up are Shabbat and Kashrut. And so one couple that I was talking to, he was not Shomer Shabbat at all. And she was. And so they, you know, we had gotten together on, you know, Saturday nights, you know, sometimes she would walk over early, you know, and then they'd go out afterwards that they were being, you know, and I said, well, what is it that you really want? Like what, you know, because he's not going to all of a sudden say, no, sure, I'll be Shomer Shabbat. He's never really observed Shabbat. He doesn't even know. So start with, you know what, I want you to come with me to Shabbat meals. You know, that's a great way of us, you know, getting to know, you know, each other in this way. It's a nice way for you to get to know some of my friends and see, you know, this is actually a, like Shabbat dinner is great. Like that's a, that can be a really, it's not like, oh, well, you can't do this. You can't do that. Show some of the positive things like Shabbat dinner is very nice. And then you can say, you know what, Shabbat lunch is great. This is not someone who, you know, I guess I'm thinking of in, my, in one case of a pretty extreme example. They were a wonderful couple. He didn't read Hebrew. He grew up Jewish, but, you know, really not connected. And she went to shul every Shabbat and he great guy and they you know, were great. And I, I, I remember saying like, he, he may not be ready to be sitting in shul each week, you know. So why don't you say, you know, why don't you walk over, you know, during Kiddush and let's go to, you know, uh, Shabbat lunch together. You know, like start with like, you know, you, you can do your, do your own thing Shabbat morning, but let's meet up and spend the afternoon together. We'll go for a walk. We'll have Shabbat lunch. You know, we'll, you know, like let him see that Shabbat is not just, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. But like, this is a time where we really spend time together. We play our board games together. We really, you know, see some of the positives. And I said, you know, at some point you could say, look, I would love for you to come sit. And I know it's not your thing, but I want you to at least experience something that's very important to me. And I'd like you to come. And I know, you know, I'm going to sit you next to a friend of mine. You don't have to do anything. No one's going to be watching, but I'd love you to just see what it's like. And, um, and you know, we, this was after a lot of discussion. And in the end, he did. And he didn't come every week, but he understood that this was something that was important to her. And so he was willing to compromise on that. Her willing to compromise was really realizing that he's not going to come to shul every, every morning. And he's not going to come every Friday. He's not going to start diving all the time. But it got to the point where he, you know, where she was able to say, look, at least come sometimes. And he was at the point where he could say, you know, I'm happy to come sometimes because this is important to you. And so I think when you're communicating, now that doesn't work on every situation, but I think a lot of times it can work if, you know, you say in, you know, some of the couples that I worked with on, you know, Kashrut, it would be like, look, the house, it's, it, you know, I would tell the, either the man or the woman, look, the house is just it, it, in order for me to be able to eat in my home, in order for my family or my friends, you know, but you know what, if you, what you do when you are out, you know, on a business lunch, if you, you know, if that's what's, you know, I'm not going to tell you, you know, you can't do that. And I feel like that's where people have to be a little bit more flexible, where the more observant person has to understand that they are marrying someone who does not value kashrut in the same way that they do. 
And the person who uh, doesn't keep kosher has to understand, you know what, the person that I'm marrying, that dude is really important to them. I have, so I think like that's where these conversations are important earlier on. You know, if someone says, look, there is no way that I am not bringing, you know, uh, cheeseburgers into my house, I just can't do that. Then they're probably not so flexible about other things also. And so, you know, if that's where someone is, you know, I think that there's probably more there that's not working than just whether they can bring a cheeseburger into the house or not. Um, so I think that, you know, it's a lot about communication, like figuring out what, what, what are core things that I cannot do? You know, and someone might say, look, I cannot not go to non-kosher restaurants. I, you know, I'm a, I work in business. Everything we do is based in, you know, in restaurants. And, you know, so the person can say, you know, I, I just can't go with you then. And so, if, you know, if you want me to come with you and, you know, then let's find a kosher option. And if you're in a community without kosher options, then let's figure out, can we, can we do it for coffee? Can we have them at our house? Can we meet somewhere? Can we cater in, you know, like let's be flexible and let's be creative about how we can make things work. Um, and so I, I think I'm all about like flexibility and creativity. And I think it has to come on both sides, realizing that if you are with someone who, you know, feels very passionate about these things, you have to know that about them. If someone believes that, you know, again, day school or um, how you vacation, how, you know, what, you know, I know people have different rules on vacation. Like sometimes, you know, you just, it's a, a lot of navigating and communication. That might have been too long of an answer. I didn't cover what. Uh, no, what no, there was, there was, I, you know, I like it because it's very, very thorough. It's exactly what I'm looking for because I'm looking to help people who are in this situation, you know, or who may soon find themselves, you know, God forbid, in this situation. It's a really, really challenging thing. And, you know, exactly along those lines. I mean, many couples feel like they're the only ones who have problems and issues. They're the only ones who are fighting, you know. But the reality is that every couple goes through their own challenges that actually have the potential to help them become better people once they surpass their challenge. And I, you know, I love this anecdote that you were saying about the the religious, you know, one man was religious and the woman wasn't. And I was wondering if maybe you have any other real life anecdotes from your own personal life or your own experiences working with couples, not necessarily like a religious issue, but just an issue where people, you know, a couple had to really work through it and they grew through it. Um, so, you know, uh, I guess, yes. I'm like, there's so many, I'm trying to think of what are, you know, what are some of uh, the other ones? I guess one of the other ones that comes to mind was that there was a couple, um, I did not fix them up. They, yeah, but we were close with them and um, they both grew up observant. They both grew up from and their lives had taken different paths. And um, so they were not, you know, they, they still like, you know, they kept a strictly kosher home because of their families. They were a little more flexible outside their home, but it came to choosing a school for their kids. And one said, you know, I want public school. I want, you know, I believe in public school and I want, you know, I didn't get to meet people from all different backgrounds. I want to um, you know, meet people from all different backgrounds. I want my kids to meet people from all different backgrounds. And that's very important to me. And the other, you know, the other person in the couple said, you know what, but I want my kid to, you know, yes, I've made different choices, but I made those choices from an educated point. And I want my kid to at least understand, you know, Judaism. I want them to, um, to be able to make a choice. And I don't, feel like they'll be able to make that choice if they aren't in a 
Jewish environment. And um, so we spent a lot of time talking to them. And in the end, we said, well, then why don't you look around? They were in a community that had multiple day schools. And we said, find a school that matches, you know, that has a community that's similar to where you are, you know, that has, um, you know, that's going to have the joy that you, you know, that you both have, you know, you both associate parts of Judaism with joy. That's the parts that you embrace. So find a school that matches the joy that you want and that matches the hashkafa that you want, which is, you know, one that's steeped in Judaism, but that also embraces the world. And, you know, try that. And then find other ways that you can, you know, involve your kids in, in things that they can meet other people through sports, through volunteering, through other things. And so they found a day school and both parties are very, very happy with the day school that they chose. Um, you know, I think it's a lot about figuring out like, what is it that you really want or what is it that you are afraid of? And if you say, well, I'm afraid that my kids aren't gonna, are gonna be sheltered and aren't gonna meet anybody. Well, then you do have to make an effort to make sure. Now, whether that's, for us, you can say like that, maybe that's at your Shabbat table. You make sure to invite people from different backgrounds to your Shabbat table. Um, or you get involved in activities where you aren't just meeting people who are just like you. Um, and it's funny, I think that that's sort of, it goes back to matchmaking a little bit, like you have to make sure that you, so I, I encounter a lot where someone, um, you know, grew up observant, now they aren't so observant, but they know that they want to be, you know, that they want to be observant when they, um, you know, when they get married and when they're raising kids. And so, you know, they will put in their profile, I like to go to bars. I don't go to Minion every day, but I'm looking for a woman who wants to cover her hair and, you know, uh, whatever. And, you know, I can say to them, you know, like, you kind of have to, a person who says, I want to cover my hair, I want, uh, you know, um, you know, the whole list of things, you aren't going to be the person that they're looking for because you are not someone who's you know, you have to kind of be uh, realistic and honest with where you are and with, you know, to say like, well, I want to find someone who goes to, you know, the beach in a bikini now, but when they are married, they're going to, you know, you know, sneeze and dress them up. Like, there's people out there like that. But I think it's just narrowing the field. Like if you say, you know, I'm someone who goes to Minion and then goes to the beach or I want to, you know, like you have to kind of be the person that the person that you're looking for is going to want to find if that makes sense that, yes um you know you have to look at who you are and the kind of person that you are looking for isn't necessarily going to be wanting you if you are not doing what it is that you want that person you, you understand yes, i totally get it yes <laughs> and that makes sense that makes sense exactly because because people you know people look people look to see how how's this person going to be when i marry them you know, right. what's going to be down the line with this person? So that's, right. that's really, really important. Right. Um, and I mean, I know that in addition to, we talked a lot about matchmaking and, you know, couples and everything. And I know that you're very much also involved in Hachnasat Orhim, which is specifically having a wide variety of Shabbat guests at your table, which is in, its, in itself a type of matchmaking and type of networking, right. Right. you know? And um, it's such a beautiful mitzvah to bring Shabbat guests to your home and have them at your table. And I am just so interested in hearing about some anecdotes that happened at your Shabbat table. Like that could be a very interesting place for things to happen at the Shabbat table. Incidentally, I actually met my husband at a Shabbat table. Oh. Yes. 
See, I always feel like, you know, I, I think the model of meeting someone at a Shabbat table is because you don't look at your checklist of things. You know, you don't know, you know, I work with people who are like, I will not date someone who's over 33. But if you're at a Shabbat table, the first thing you do when you meet people is you don't ask them how old they are. And so you're not going to know if they're 35 and you've had an amazing meal and, you know, they were so funny and you just, there was so like, I think, or you don't know where they went to school. You don't necessarily know, um, you know, some of the things that, um, that you might have said no, if someone called you and said, I have this person, you know, meet them. Like, you know, I think a Shabbat meal allows people to kind of on a relaxed way to get to know each other. And you can see like, they, you know, she was reading the most interesting books and she just had so many interesting things to say, or she was telling us about this great trip that she went on, you know, like, I just think like people are more relaxed. And so when someone, you know, like they're not going to know that she has plans to move back to Chicago as soon as she's done. And that, you know, that's a deal breaker for him. Or, you know, like that's a thing, like at least it gives people a chance to, to meet. So I, we've had so many interesting people at our table. And I think some of the things that we've been the most surprised about are similar to the things that, that I find surprised in matchmaking is, that we've had meals that we've like, sometimes, I mean, we've done all different things. We sometimes do themes, like we'll have like over, you know, doctors and we'll invite like, you know, medical students and doctors and residents and retired and just kind of like, you know, kind of hope that things, you know, take or just people, you know, meet. Um, we did a meal that was great about we um, couples that were expecting, they were all pregnant couples. They had, a, it was a great meal. That one was wonderful. Um, we've had some other meals that really kind of flopped. We're like, they should meet, you know, they, it all should work. And it really didn't like people just, it didn't take. And I think our biggest surprise is that the meals that we are like almost the most nervous about because there's no cohesion or no, um, you know, like theme, it's just kind of like a very random group are sometimes our best meals because we realize we can't predict um, what's going to happen. So we had this guy who was visiting when we were in Chicago, he was visiting the community and he had visited before and he, he was a talker. He just did not listen. He just kept talking and talking and talking. And we, we always had him over and we always had to kind of figure out, okay, where we were, where we were, who, who were we going to put him next to that, you know, could tolerate, you know, how was this going to work? And we ended up having, you know, we didn't, we didn't, seat him he ended up sitting next to one of our other guests brought a brother and they sat next to each other and they had the best time like they were talking the entire time they exchanged you know numbers they got together after shabbat and here we were so nervous about who was this person and like you know we couldn't have predicted that he was going to like they they had a, a friendship that still goes on that they were like they and they met at our table and we 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 were nervous, but we could have put him somewhere else. And, uh, and that, you know, uh, might not have gone so well. Um, I think some of our most meaningful times are when we've had older people and younger people. And I know that sometimes like when someone sits next to someone and they're like, oh gosh, you know, what are we going to talk about? How is this going to be? And we actually had a Seder where we had some older people and some younger people and they were sitting next to each other. And the older person, we do a lot of, a lot of our Shabbat meals are spent doing introductions. Like we go around, we have everyone introduce themselves and there's always a question. And so it's a way for everyone to at least get to know someone, you know, uh, 
I think it's called one, one more thing on that. So in any case, this um, the young person was sitting next to this older couple and they started telling them about like Pesach when they, um, when they were in the Holocaust, he was a Holocaust survivor. And so this young person then stopped the Seder, like, you know, this was like at the, after the meal. And he's like, you know, I think we should all listen to this person talk about some of his experiences, you know. Um, like we, we knew that he was a Holocaust, right? We weren't focusing on him. And this young person said, I think we should all listen. And so we took him and this Holocaust survivor who, uh, you know, really like spent the next probably half hour telling us about his experiences in Pesach during the Holocaust. And it was one of the most moving satyrs that any of us had been to. And it was all because this young person, you know, took a moment to ask this, you know, the older gentleman about his, you know, it just, it came out organically that uh, it was an incredibly moving experience to have that. Um, the other thing is, I was saying during introductions, like our table was very, very long in Chicago. So really you could sit here and there and not know the person. So, but we did introductions. And so someone was talking about that, you know, they grew up and their father was a rabbi and in, you know, Connecticut. And this other person said, wait, wait, your father was my rabbi growing up. And they like, you know, they hadn't seen each other in probably like 30 years, didn't know that they wouldn't have recognized by name, by mayor. And so like, I just feel like, you know, we've had, you know, it's not so much we had like some, you know, great people, but I think the more things are just like the natural things that happen at the table where people get to, you know, just meet people that they might not have met, you know, in another situation. And um, so I think those are the most beautiful moments, at least for us, where, um, you know, where our table, you know, I guess I will say now, like we, my husband does, uh, my husband is the, um, director of the JCRC AJC, which is the Jewish communities basically um, interacting with the rest of the community. So uh, often at our table, we'll have, you know, people from very different backgrounds. And, um, you know, we had uh, one student, an African-American student who was telling us, you know, um, about, you know, he was in college and what a sacrifice it was. He was the first person to go to college from his family. And um, you know how how many jobs he was working to uh, enable him to go to college, and um, and so he also and he you know he was telling us how delicious the food was and whatever, and you know so I, I actually made some comment like oh well would you like to take some home he goes oh, I'd love to take some home he's like that will mean that I you know and like that I won't get to have a, a nice dinner you know uh, he says I don't you know I don't always have you know enough money to have you know I, he says I'm not starving by far but he's like you know to have a dinner like this and I think. You know, for my kids to be able to see like something that they take for granted that of course they're going to go to college and you know they're they're gonna you know they have food on the table like I think it was it was really quite um, remarkable for them and for the other people at our table like to just kind of take a step back and say you know things that we take for granted like the people that we are usually around you know who, uh, who you know that there there's a whole world out there of other people or you know we've my husband's a rabbi so he meets with other pastors and ministers and, you know, imams. And so we've um, had them over for Shabbat and to hear them tell some of their stories, it's just fascinating. Like there's just a world out there. And I think, you know, when we have people from our community, you know, they, they, our community and introduce them to, you know, other people who are not necessarily part of our community. They usually thank us afterwards. And they're like, it's so, it's just so, there's a whole world out there of, 
people to get to know and, you know, uh, so, so it's less, I guess, about um, people. And I guess just like that people really, it's important, I think, to meet people who are a little bit outside your social circle or outside your demographic or outside that you might not necessarily meet. I totally agree. And that way you get another person's point of view. You learn yeah. something that you would have never even known to even to ask a question. Right. You know what right. I mean? Right. So, and, and speaking of questions, I'm actually curious, what has been like your favorite icebreaker question that you've asked your Shabbat guests? I'll tell you, it's so funny. Our favorite, which like my husband loves flying. He loves airplanes. He loves airports. And so we said, you know what? let's go around and ask people what is their favorite airport. And like, it was kind of like this whim of like, you know, uh, like, you know, we, like we have done, we do introductions twice a Shabbat, every Shabbat. We're like, and you know, it's, you know, it's often like a book that you're reading or your favorite Parsha or your favorite biblical character or, um, you know, your favorites. I don't know, we, we try to do things that are not just like your favorite ice cream because right. that's like we want something that's a little more, meaty than that, but not so meaty that people are going to feel uncomfortable. So we did, what is your favorite airport? And we, we were blown away by everyone has some experience and story about why an airport was there. Like it was, it was actually just because it was more than just like, oh, uh, Iceland, that's my favorite. Airport. But it was like, <laughs> it, um, it, it became, it was, a, it was a much richer question than we had thought. Some of our, like our other favorite ones are like, what's your, you know, when we have someone who, we live in Detroit now. So when we have someone new to Detroit, we have everyone go around and say, you know, what is something that this person should not miss in Detroit? Or, you know, what was your favorite vacation? Or um, where is one place that you've always wanted to travel? Or, you know, we try to do like around, uh, around um, graduation, we do a lot of like graduation meals. And we have everyone go around and tell um, who, who was a teacher that had an influence on them or, um, you know, and so we always just try to do something. So, I mean, the teacher one is always a good one also. In fact, one of our teacher ones, someone said a teacher and someone else said, that's my aunt. You know, and they lived and grew up in different places and- uh, Such a small world. You never know who you're sitting right next to. You have no know. idea. You never know. <laughs> wow. That's beautiful. I love that. You know, this is such a creative way to network and like to meet people. And, and like you said, it's not just for singles, but just for networking or for, for, for friendship, you know, for life, you know, just to meet new people and open your own horizons. And I think it's just a beautiful thing. Thank you so much. This is great. <laughs> and thank you. Thank you again, really, for taking the time to join us in America's Top Revitons. We really, really appreciate you having here, this, you know, being here. This is bliss, a really fun interview. And um, may our learning today be, bring a refuge to Daniel Benilana. And if anyone in the audience has any questions or comments about the podcast, or if anyone would like to sponsor a podcast, please email us at atrevitsons at gmail.com. That's A-T-R-E-B-B-E-T-Z-I-N-S at gmail.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. You should have a lot of hatzlacha in everything that you do. So thank you so much. Amen. Thank you.